0: This sermon is about God. It's not about us. That does not mean that it is irrelevant to us. No, my deepest prayer is that it will be relevant. But in a way that glorifies God, resulting in our thinking and our passions and our pursuit and our work and our play, that it will be altered through what God, by His Spirit, through the pen of Paul, says about himself in this text. So what does God say about himself in our text? Well, certainly, this text reveals many things about God. But our focus today is on only one of those things. And it's found in 615 where Paul writes the simple phrase, he who is blessed. This declaration of blessedness is part of a doxology that Paul is using to undergird an imperative that he is giving to Timothy regarding the work That he's doing at the church of Ephesus. Notice that charge is found in verse 13. And then in verse 14. Where he says. I charge you in the presence of God. That you keep the commandment. Think about that for a moment. Imagine. Being summoned into the presence of Paul. Via this letter. Then imagine that flanking him is the Trinity. On one side, God the Father. On the other side, Jesus. And the presence of his spirit all around. Then Paul, in the most resolute manner, tells you that you are to keep the commandment. And to keep it without stain or reproach. And notice... For how long? Until Jesus comes back. How in the world do you pull that off? What gives you strength and endurance? How will Timothy stay motivated? Well, the same way that we find strength and endurance and motivation and hope and joy and resoluteness By knowing our God. At least this seems to be what Paul is doing through the next verse. Notice verse 15. You're to keep the commandment until the coming of Jesus. Which God will bring about at the proper time. And then there's this foray of adjectives that are given to describe the God who will bring about the coming of Christ at its proper time, whose presence Timothy is standing in to, to be charged with the keeping of a commandment. Here's what he says to him about this God, that he is blessed and he is sovereign The King of Kings and Lord of Lords, He alone possesses immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, whom no man has ever seen. To Him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. As we stated earlier, there is much in this verse about God, His power, His authority. His preeminence among rulers, his eternality, the brightness of his dwelling and sermons and studies can and should be done on each of these. More than that, these things should occupy our thinking and shape our understanding of who God is, because it is God through his spirit and the pen of Paul that is saying to us, this is who I am. And yet today, we drive our thinking toward only one of these descriptions. That being the first one in this doxology. He who is blessed. Who is blessed? God is. He wants us to think about him in this manner. God wants us to know that he is. Is the blessed God. What does that even mean? God is blessed. It's not a call to bless God or praise him. Though I pray that by the time we are done. That will issue forth from our hearts and our minds. No, this is a description of. Of God. God wants us to know that he exists in a state of blessedness. Now if we were to change the adjective we would immediately have a measure of understanding of how this phrase is functioning. I'll give you some examples. If we were to say if the phrase said he who is the angry God, we immediately have understanding. Or or if the phrase said, he who is the powerful God, it would register. Or he who is the just God. I also think that we would have a a measure of understanding of of this phrase if we changed the subject of the phrase. I mean, if we said something like this, if the text said something like this, Bill Gates is blessed or immediately we'd say he's got a lot of money we immediately intuitively we understand that or if we were to say Peyton Manning is blessed we would immediately realize this guy is a, a mad scientist with respect to football so you see if you change the adjective you get an understanding of how it functions and if you change the subject you get an idea of how this is functioning But the question for us is not with respect to the human realm, but with the divine. And it is not not with respect to our definitions of blessedness, but with respect to the Bibles. So where do we begin to understand what it means for God to be blessed? How about with the Bible? This is like a great place to start. But it's going to require a little work because this description of God only occurs twice in the Bible. Once here and the other time that it occurs with respect to God is in the first part of this letter. We'll come to that one later, but for now, we're going to have to shift gears a little bit. And start thinking about from other texts what it means to be blessed in general. Now immediately I I would imagine that a passage of scripture has come to your mind. That being Matthew chapter 5 where he records the Sermon on the Mount. And we refer to that passage as the Beatitudes. Over and over again in that context that word is used to describe a people. The people of God. Over and over again. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are you when men shall persecute you and revile you and say all manner of evil against you for my name's sake. So as you consider the way the word is used in that context you walk away from it with an understanding of blessedness. And that is that blessedness is a state of being that is not dependent upon circumstances, but on God who makes promises to those who are in unfavorable circumstances. And the dispositions of those under unfavorable circumstances, are changed in direct proportion to their faith in God's ability and faithfulness to fulfill the promises that He has made to them. And as they do that, as those people believe the promises of God and His faithfulness to fulfill those promises and His ability to, they are transformed in their being. And their circumstances become irrelevant because they are blessed. They are blessed by God. So it is, blessedness is not a a set of unfavorable circumstances I'm sorry, let me back up. Blessedness is not favorable circumstances. Rather, it is a state of being that is irrelevant to the circumstances, but is based on the faithfulness and promises of God. Now, that's what it means from a human perspective. But now we have to change perspectives We have to leave the human realm and try to understand this with respect to God. What does it mean for God to be blessed? Well, I think we can begin to think about this if we pick up another phrase that Paul uses in our text. Notice there in the text what it says. He who is blessed... And only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Now it's that phrase, King of kings and Lord of lords, that I want to pick up. And why I want to pick it up in comparison to what Psalm 2 says. Now our goal there is to show what being blessed means to God in this comparison. So notice Psalm 2, if you will, with me. Now, while the term bless is not explicitly used toward God in this text, it does reveal God's response toward unfavorable circumstances. Notice Psalm 2. Verses 1 through 3 reveal a set of circumstances That are not favorable. Notice what it says. Why are the nations in an uproar? And the peoples devising a vain thing. Now what is it that they're trying to do? The kings of the earth take their stand. And the rulers take counsel together against the Lord. And against his anointed saying. Let us tear their fetters apart. And cast away their cords from us. These are kings. Who are with reference to the king of kings. Saying we do not want him ruling over us. In fact. We're going to act and rule. In such a way as to destroy. His authority. There's a set of unfavorable circumstances. Now watch this. How then does God respond to this? Verses 4 through 6 come into play. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then he will speak to them in his anger. And terrify them in his fury saying. But as for me. I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. Did you notice there in verse 6, the personal pronouns, the referent back to God himself? But it's for me. I, God, have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. It is God's contemplation of himself. He's thinking about who he is. His abilities, his intentions, not the intentions of those around them. What enables this response? It is God's self-awareness. God knows who he is, and that is a very good thing. He knows that things are not about to spin out of control because he is the one who rules over those who are standing against him. He has the authority and the power to accomplish his purposes. In this text, it is to establish his rule through his king over rebellious kings. Now, while the thought of God laughing... May be disturbing. We need to be careful and understand this. This laughter of God. This emotional disposition that is being expressed. Is not maniacal. It's not sadistic. But it's one that is coming from self-awareness. He knows who he is. He knows what he's going to do. While it may disturb us. It is. It is. His word describing his response to the circumstances created by kings over whom he is the king. This response flows from his blessedness, his self-awareness. He is king and they are not. They will not move God off his throne or alter his decisions. Or create a state of panic. The kings will not commandeer history. Alter God's intentions. Or hijack his disposition. So now let me summarize this. <clears throat> Blessedness is not the state of being that flows from favorable circumstances. Which is typically how we use the phrase. Right? Right? When we, when we say someone is blessed, what are we saying? We're saying everything's working out for them. okay The circumstances are in their favor. Okay? That is not blessedness. Blessedness is not the state of being that flows from favorable circumstances but rather the state of being and the attending emotional disposition that flows from realizing that circumstances do not define reality. Rather, God does because he possesses all power and authority. Now notice how this syncs up with our text in First Timothy. Notice again. He who is the blessed and only sovereign. God is aware that he is God and that we are not. God is aware that he is God and that he controls outcomes. Circumstances do not. And this awareness produces a disposition that is favorable and desirable. And is what I believe is Encompassed in the idea of blessedness, God is blessed. The emotional disposition that flows from God, knowing that he is God, and that is a very good thing. It is not something to shy away from. We as God's people are not to be terrorized by the blessedness of God which flows from his sovereignty. But rather we are to rejoice in it for it makes our salvation certain and our future hopeful. John Piper in his book, The Pleasures of God, summarizes it this way. He says, he is the only sovereign. And therefore, he is the happy God. Because there is none that can frustrate what he aims to do according to his good pleasure. He further writes, C.S. Lewis puts it like this. The freedom of God consists in the fact that no other than himself produces his acts and no external obstacle impedes them. That is, his own goodness is the root from which they all grow, and his own omnipotence, the air in which they all flower. Now, let's seek to bring further understanding this by applying this in our life and history. So how was this supposed to function in Timothy's life? There's this declaration. Timothy, you are to keep the commandment without stain. Until Jesus comes. How is he going to be motivated? Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, felt it necessary to write to Timothy in light of this imperative to keep the commandment and tell him that God was blessed. This was to provide motivation through hope that God would empower him to complete this task. God's not worried about whether or not Timothy will do this. In fact, God is going to empower Timothy to do this. The blessedness, the blessedness of God is a source of strength and hope and courage and endurance. But it's not just in Timothy's day that it gets applied. David Brainerd, the missionary to the Delaware Indians in New Jersey in the 1700s, felt it necessary to teach this truth to them. In his diary, he writes, It is necessary in the first place to teach them that God is from everlasting And so distinguished from all creatures. The divine all-sufficiency must also necessarily be mentioned. Listen. In order to prevent their imagining that God was unhappy. And we need to know that God is blessed. Let me illustrate this by giving you a story from my past that I think that helps to kind of encapsulate what I believe it means to not realize the blessedness of God. About 45 years ago, sitting on the front porch just outside of Atlanta, Georgia, in a rural area on Klondike Road, a small house, late in the evening, sitting out there with my grandfather. Just me and him. And there is a wicked storm rolling in. It's getting dark. It's raining. And it's storming. I'm a five-year-old kid. Sitting next to my grandfather. I'm looking at him. He's good. You know what that means? I'm good. Wow! Wow! Look at this power. Look at this display. I mean, that's not how I'm thinking at the time. But that's what's going on. This is awesome. I see the storm. And I am enjoying the storm. Why? Because my grandfather is sitting there. And then. Lightning struck. Close proximity to where we are. And out of the corner of my eye. Guess what I saw? I saw my grandfather flinch. Do you know what that flinch did to me? Put me in the house. (laughs) Done. It's over. No more enjoyment. No more peace. Fear fills my being. Race 30 years into the future. Again. I'm sitting on a porch in our glass room watching a storm rolling in across the way. Now, I'm sitting there with one of my sons enjoying this. This is why we built this room so we could enjoy the outside and its power and its immensity and its beauty. The storm is rolling in and my mind recalls that. And recalls how important it was to me as a five-year-old. That someone beyond me be resolute and steadfast and confident. And I remember what happened when my grandfather flinched. I said, don't flinch. Don't flinch. You know what happened, don't you? I flinched. And you know what happened to Joshua? In the house. (laughs) Full of fear. Why? Because his dad flinched. Down south, we would say it this way, with respect to blessedness. God don't flinch. He doesn't flinch. It doesn't matter how bad the storm is. It doesn't matter how unfavorable the circumstances are. It doesn't matter that it looks like history and the earth and humanity is out of control. God don't flinch. Because He's blessed. And Paul wanted Timothy to know that and David Brainerd wanted the Indians to know that. I need to know that and believe by the design of history and the holy spirit we today need to know that that god is blessed and he doesn't flinch and you say but what about the fact that i am suffering and what about the fact that i am i'm in pain and what about the fact that my circumstances are unfavorable do you mean that god is happy and lucky and laughing at everything that's going on while I am suffering. No, 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 I don't believe that's true. I believe the proper way to think about this is to think about this as a physician to a patient. You've got a sickness and you think it's the end of the world. I just had one. Okay? It was the end of the world. You don't know how close we came to the end of the world. But we did but that physician came into the room, and he was empathizing with me. He he really knew I was in pain. He really knew that I was suffering, and I believe he was genuine in his response to that. But you know what? He wasn't that worried about it. You know why? Because he had medication, he had an awareness of what was going on, and he was applying that. And he was telling me, "You can go home. The world's not ending." It will be okay. God's blessedness is like a healing balm from a physician. He understands, He knows, but He's going to make it better. It's a good thing for God to be blessed. It's a very good thing. It gives us hope and strength and peace and confidence and vigor. Regardless of what our circumstances are, we stand certain and sure because God doesn't flinch. He's blessed. Now quickly, I told you that there was one other occurrence. Let me me point that out. It's in chapter 1 and verse 11. Chapter 1 and verse 11. Notice what Paul writes. According to the glorious gospel of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. Point out a couple of things. Number one, notice that this is an evangelistic context because he just listed this series of vices. That humanity is engaged in these series of sins. And then in the context of making that statement, he tells us that the gospel is glorious because it's from the blessed God. The second thing that I want to point out real quick is that he's talking about the gospel. Notice the glorious gospel. What is that gospel? Gospel. The gospel is the news that God sent his only divine son to become flesh through which he lived a life that met the requirement of the law for a righteous person. Then in that same flesh, he suffered the death of the cross to fulfill the penalty for those who have sinned as defined by the law. He then, on the third day, in that same flesh, rose from the dead to demonstrate that the penalty for sin has been paid. And those that repent from their sin and believe in this will be saved. Now, in that context, he tells us these two things. One, that the gospel is glorious. It's not just good news. It is absolutely glorious good news. Awesome, stupendous, overwhelming, great news. And he says that this gospel belongs to someone, is emanating from someone, has been produced by someone. And who is that someone? The blessed God. God is not. He doesn't let me let me just back God doesn't flinch over sin. Because he knows that sin is dealt with in the cross. And that blessedness. Impacts those who receive that gospel. And the best place to see that is Psalm 32. Look there briefly and we're done. Remember, what is the gospel according to Paul? It is a glorious gospel. Who does it belong to? It belongs to God. But He is a blessed God. Now notice. This is what it means. To encounter that gospel from the blessed God. Psalm 32 verse 1. How blessed is He whose transgression is forgiven. Whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. And in whose spirit there is no deceit. Do you see that? God doesn't flinch with respect to your sin. Because he knows what he is doing in Christ. Your sin is not an issue for God. Because Christ is. Has done what is necessary to pay for that sin. And he says forgiven because it's been dealt with. And now we have an emotional disposition that's flowing out of a state of reality rather than a state of circumstances. You don't have to be depressed about what you have done. You don't have to worry about that what you do now is realize that you are forgiven because of what God has done. And He rejoices in what He has done. And He rejoices in you being blessed through what He has done. Now, notice what had. What does this blessedness look like for us? Well, that's really what's going on in verses 3 and 4. There's a contrast. What the writer says is, Prior to this state of blessedness, before he repented, before he confessed his sin, notice what was going on in his life. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away. Through my groaning all day long, for day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. That is the lack of blessedness. And it's interesting that the term blessed that is used in this translation and used in 1 Timothy. According to one scholar. Blessedness means human flourishing. And you can see that right here in this text. Prior to forgiveness we don't flourish as humans. That's the lie of the devil who says, if you continue in your sin, you will flourish. The truth of the matter is, when you repent of your sin, you are blessed by the blessed God which enables you to flourish. Now you can be what God has called you to be. Now how do I move from that state of lack of flourishing to a state of flourishing? That's what's in verse 5. I acknowledged my sin to you. My iniquity I did not hide. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. That's repentance. Verse 6. Therefore let everyone who is godly pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. How does God preserve you from trouble? The trouble of your sin. Because He's blessed. He's in control. How do you today move into a state of blessedness with the blessed God? It's through repentance of your sin and faith in God. And then you will flourish You will flourish in the blessedness of God. God doesn't flinch. And that's a very good thing.